The obvious potential value is personalized patient care around uh, complex interventions. This personalized approach allows for a more tailored selection of materials. There's less guessing during the procedure in itself, less guessing about what catheter to use, what device to use, what movements are required to place the catheter or guide the catheter. You essentially know how to maneuver the catheter or the sheet even before you start the case because you've already rehearsed it in a patient's uh, accurate cardiac model. Welcome to the EP Edit. I'm Jody Elrod. In this episode, we're talking with Dr. Alejandro Jimenez Restrepo about his use of 3D printing of cardiac models. Dr. Restrepo is an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and a cardiac electrophysiologist at the University of Maryland Medical Center. So I thought your article would be a great opportunity to do a review because I think it's a really fascinating topic. And um, we'll do a brief overview of the article and then we get a little bit of a more in-depth look at what you guys are doing over there. My pleasure. So to start, tell me about the concept of 3D printing of cardiac models. Yeah, Jody, that's a good question. Uh, Medical 3D printing is the process of taking diagnostic images such as CTs and MRIs and creating a model using a 3D printer. The process involves several steps. The first step is what we call segmentation. Basically, when you take an imaging file, which is usually in a DICOM format, which is a universal format for medical imaging, using an image processing software, you choose the region of interest you want to display. For example, if you're doing a model to guide a left atrial appendage occlusion procedure, for example, you're going to want to segment the left atrium, the pulmonary veins, and the left atrial appendage. If in addition to that, you want to evaluate the interatrial septal anatomy to guide the transeptal axis, for example, then you would also add information from the right atrium and the IVC. The way you choose your region of interest is going through the 2D slices of the study and then selecting those images where the contrast delineates the endocardium. And so that, in this case, would be the left atrium and the appendage. So you essentially, using the software, you outline the anatomical areas of interest and assign them individual names. Hence the segmentation. So one segment is the left atrium, another one is the pulmonary veins, another one is the left atrial appendage. This process is facilitated with software algorithms, which automatically can identify the endocardial contours, but you can adjust it manually if there's any obvious discrepancies in the process. So once you have the file segmented into the regions of interest, the next step is called a file conversion. What it does is essentially it takes that segmented file, which is still in a DICOM format, and converts it or saves it into a format that can be readable by a 3D printer. The most common format worldwide is STL format, but there are other formats such as VRML and AML that allow for your medical images to be printed. So once you've converted the file into, say, an STL file, the next step is called fixing and design. Fixing is basically correcting small imperfections in the converted 3D file. The most common error is surface overlap, and this usually happens due to artifacts that occur during the original scanning. So as a rule, 
the better the scan quality, hence the source quality of the image, the less fixing is required. As for the design part, it's basically selecting how you want to present the 3D printed file, how you want your model to be seen. Do you want a specific cutting plane to better show an intracardiac structure? Or do you want to print certain regions and specific colors or materials to be highlighted on your model? Once the fixing and the design is completed, then essentially you have a virtual 3D model, which you can visualize on a computer and you can use as well for quality control. So before you print the model, you want to make sure that it's accurate and without imperfections. It's also useful at, at this point that virtual 3D model, you can use it for preoperative planning. You can navigate the model, you can use virtual reality and other features to visualize the anatomy even before you've printed the model. And then once you have that virtual file ready to go, then the next step is to print that file. And then you will choose the type of printer depending on what model do you want, what printing material, the size and the complexity of the model will determine how long it takes for the printing process to occur. And it could be anywhere from a couple of hours to 10, 12 hours, again, depending on all these variables. Once the model is printed, then the last process is curating the model. So you have to clean the model, remove any resin residue, add binders to detachable parts and so on. And then you have a workable model that you can use in clinical practice or for research or for teaching purposes. That's really fascinating. Thank you. So what interested you about 3D printing and why did you begin using this approach? So I have a special interest in cardiac anatomy, which I've found very useful in my practice, especially given the complexity of some of the procedures that we do. To give you an example, congenital patients with arrhythmias and then also those procedures that require detailed understanding of the cardiac anatomy, so in particular left atrial appendage implants and cardiac resynchronization therapy. As there is significant anatomical variability in some of these cases, knowing the anatomy beforehand is quite useful. So a number of years ago, a colleague and I started a 3D printing project in my previous job. And it was basically a collaboration between radiology and cardiology departments. We saw an unmet need to better understand patients' individual anatomy before doing some of these complex cardiac interventions. Our first work was with uh, preoperative TAVRs, ASDs, PFO closures, and complex transeptal access for left-sided ablations in congenital patients. Here at the University of Maryland, our 3D printing lab also started as a collaboration between radiology, interventional, pediatric, adult congenital cardiology, and EP. And the main goal is to provide both cardiologists and surgeons who perform complex procedures with the ability to evaluate patients' complex anatomy for optimal preoperative planning to help with the access planning, equipment selection, and identify potential barriers to achieving a successful procedure. So what are the current uses for 3D printing in your lab? So we use 3D printing for pre-procedural planning, procedural simulation for fellow training, and for didactic anatomy teaching. The pre-procedural models are being used primarily for left-sided interventions, mainly left atrial appendage occlusions, and patients with unusual anatomical variants or with difficult anatomy undergoing either device implants or ablation procedures. For those particular models, we use an STL desktop printer, 
It's a low-cost printer, um, and we print models in a single color and one or two materials, depending on the need. We can simulate all the aspects of the procedure, including the transeptal axis, catheter manipulation, and device delivery. The model is very helpful for the rehearsal of the, all the pre-procedural steps and then selecting the optimal equipment for each case. In addition to the actual hands-on simulation, we also use the 3D virtual model to better understand the anatomy. For fellow training, we have two areas that we focus on. One is the use of the printed models of both normal and abnormal anatomy to teach translational anatomy, which is basically integrating the information from cardiac anatomy that is relevant for electrophysiologists. We use didactic and interactive lectures, which are currently part of our fellows curriculum. And this includes a combination of virtual models, printed models, and correlation with histology and anatomy slides. For this didactic area, we need more detailed anatomy on the models. We used uh, more expensive models. We use multicolor models printed in more sophisticated 3D printers. Usually we use polyjet and binder jetting printers that allow us to depict the anatomy in greater detail and to print uh, different anatomy areas in different colors. The other part of the fellow training component for us is the fluoroscopy guided simulations using the 3D printed models. The purpose of this is to familiarize the fellows with intracardiac catheter navigation, and it helps them develop muscle memory and hand-eye coordination especially during the first year of their training. We do this in the EP lab using minimal fluoroscopy settings. And for these sessions, we use pre-printed models of both the left and right atrial and ventricular anatomy. These 3D models are usually STL printed models. They're very low cost and they're very robust. Usually one model can support multiple simulation sessions. And the fellows find it very useful even before they do their first cases. They get a sense of familiarity both with the EPLAB environment but also with the catheter movement and manipulation needed to achieve placing the catheter in different positions. So I think those are the main uses that we have in our lab. I will mention that we also have some research projects related to device development where we use 3D printed models to understand specific anatomical characteristics. What are some of the typical costs involved in 3D printing? That's a very good question. The cost is variable depending on the equipment and the materials that you use. And it can go from very basic equipment to more sophisticated equipment. But if you take aside the upfront cost of, say, buying a, an STL printer, which is about two to $3,000, you're talking about 10 to $20 per model in terms of the materials used. If you use more sophisticated printers with different resins or different materials, then you're going to have increased costs. If you outsource the printing, then that obviously is an additional cost. If you outsource the segmentation, that's an additional cost. But for the purposes of most of the ventures that I've mentioned, the modeling, the pre-procedural simulation, the didactic simulated sessions, you can get away with a very low-cost uh, 3D printing setup. The most important cost is essentially the time and the effort needed to print this model. So you need some sort of a 
set up where you have the time or the you know the human resource to do the sprinting models because it does take for a full four cardiac chamber model on an STL printer it can take about 10 to 12 hours of printing and then the image processing beforehand takes one or two hours and then finalizing the model after it's been printed takes another one or two hours. So you're looking at overnight printing a model plus the time it takes to curate and, and prepare it. That's the main expense is the capital expense more so than the actual materials. So what is the value of 3D printing? The obvious potential value is personalized patient care around uh, complex interventions. This personalized approach allows for a more tailored selection of materials. There's less guessing during the procedure in itself, less guessing about what catheter to use, what device to use, what movements are required to place the catheter or guide the catheter. You essentially know how to maneuver the catheter or the sheet even before you start the case because you've already rehearsed it in a patient's uh, accurate cardiac model selecting the right device size for each patient, and the impact on all these procedural aspects can potentially reduce costs, but also improve procedural outcomes. And what are the potential applications for this technology in the future? There's many applications. For procedural simulation, you can look at integration of 3D printed models with augmented and virtual reality applications. So this will allow for personalized patient-specific simulators and I, I strongly believe these two technologies are complementary rather than mutually exclusive. In the field of medical device development, 3D printed cardiac models and torso models are being used to develop uh, novel implanting tools, devices, catheters, and leads. This can potentially bypass some of the animal testing phase of some of these devices uh, de being developed. There's also the area of bioprinting, where essentially you use 3D printed scaffolds to support regeneration of human tissue. So this can be applied in cardiology and heart valves, myocytes and conduction tissue, for example. There's also the aspect of telemedicine and remote consultation. So you can apply 3D printing technology for uh, expert opinion consultations. So 3D virtual files can be sent via web-based applications. They can be reviewed in real time. They can even be printed in real time on the other side. An expert in a particular field can provide very valuable feedback regarding the feasibility and procedural techniques, having a model of a patient that's literally across the globe. So this is you know, one aspect of global healthcare and globalized medicine that hasn't been routinely done, but it's perfectly feasible. And finally, you know, with academic institutions having enough resources, you can develop a complete anatomy library of normal and abnormal anatomical specimens for teaching, training, and clinical research purposes. So essentially, you'd have a complete cardiac anatomy library of models, virtual and printed models that physicians and students can access for learning anatomy and for uh, training with accurate anatomical specimens. What limitations still exist for 3D printing? Like I mentioned before, you need a close collaboration between different physicians with different levels of expertise, uh, and in particular between radiologists and cardiologists, because it is a very technology-specific application. So the close collaboration with radiologists is essential. It is time and labor extensive to an extent. There's a setting up upfront cost for building a lab, 
if you want to print models routinely, then that's obviously a much better option than outsourcing the models because that's an expensive route to do this. Ideally, you want to have a technician running your lab and facilitating the printing process, both for quality control as well as for troubleshooting and maintenance of the equipment. And although this technology is not new, there is a lack of familiarity in general with 3D printing in the EP community. There is some reluctance to see or consider the added value of a personalized understanding of the patient's cardiac anatomy to improve preoperative planning. Perhaps because there isn't a lot of robust clinical data there isn't randomized clinical data showing improved procedural outcomes with 3D printing used pre-procedurally. But of course, there are case series and case reports showing its benefits. For simulation, using 3D printing, there's even less data. It's hard to measure quantitatively the impact of the simulation training for learning curves and even for the impact on actual procedural outcomes. So those are hard metrics to evaluate with these sort of um, simulation training experiences. So it's more of a qualitative assessment. But you can look at things like, in terms of procedural outcomes, you can look at improving procedural times and complication rates and so on, but this data is not yet available clinically. Also with the models, we're talking about specific resins, and there are tissue-like resins that simulate or mimic the compliance characteristics of myocardial tissue or arterial venous structures. These resins, however, are more expensive and require the use of special printers, which are usually high-end printers. So there is a cost to that. As I mentioned before, some companies can be outsourced to segment very high-quality 3D printed models, but the cost of such models usually exceeds $3,000 per case. So yes, there are, there are some limitations just simply printing models. There are logistics and upfront costs that need to be considered. And then the applicability and whether your EP lab has the need for such a setup depends on the population that you serve and the type of cases that you do. Dr. Restrepo, thanks so much for speaking with me today. You have provided such a wonderful review of this concept and of your experience in your lab. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I want to thank you, Jody, and EPLab Digest for allowing us the opportunity to present our 3D printing workflow. And I look forward to receiving feedback from the article. And I'm available to provide consultation and advice to anyone who's interested in using this in their practice or who sees the potential benefit of using it. We, we are currently collaborating with other centers and with some of industry in device development and in clinical cases. So we're happy to do that and to welcome any comments or uh, any potential collaborations with other EPs in the future. For more information, please visit eplabdigest.com to read Dr. Restrepo's article in our January 2020 issue. You can also find additional podcasts on our website, as well as on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.